Mother of the Savior by Father Daniel Couture. In what sense was Our Lady associated with her son's work of redemption? Was it meritorious? What burning fire and zeal did Our Lord place in the Immaculate Heart? And what does it mean to missionary labors and the forgetting of one's self? All this and more is addressed by Father in this 19th episode of the Fatima Center series, No Mary, No Jesus. Ave Maria Purissima. I am Father Daniel Couture. Welcome back to these talks on Our Lady to try to understand a little bit better who our Mother is, who the Mother of God is, in order to put into better practice the message of Fatima. God wants to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. We need to understand these words. We may think we do understand them, but when you start studying the commentators, the, the saints, you realize, hmm, I did not know that. So, that is what we are doing. We are following Father Garrigou Lagrange's great book on Our Lady, Our Lady, the Mother of the Savior, and our interior life. We are now moving to part two of the book. The first part is Mother of God. The second part is Mother of Men. And we're doing this in a spirit of reparation. Remember at Fatima, when we were asked to practice the first Saturday devotion, the reason that the five first Saturdays was to make reparation, and the third one was to make reparation for those who refuse the title of Our Lady as Mother of God and Mother of Men. So we need to understand this in order to imitate her also in, in order to, to make proper reparation for that. Because if we are the children of this mother, we must be like our mother in many things. We will speak today of Our Lady, Mother of the Savior. The previous two talks were on Our Lady's virginity. And we have shown that this virginity in the body, before, during, and after the birth, was, I would say, had its root in the virginity of her heart, her total consecration to God from the first moment of her existence, from her immaculate conception. When she consented at, on the day of the Annunciation to become the mother of God, she consented to be not just a mother, but she knew exactly who that child was going to be. He was coming on a mission from day one, from moment one, from the Incarnation. That's what she consented to. So let us look at this, because there are consequences for us, for our spiritual life. So Father Garrigou Lagrange comes back on the very first point he made in the book, that the Divine Motherhood was not imposed on Our Lady. She consented to become the mother of God. She knew all the prophecies of the Old Testament. In speaking to her, the angel was quoting a number of them. Isaiah 7.14, he was quoting the prophecies to Abraham, to David. And 
Remember the disciples of Emmaus, when our Lord was walking with them, he reproached them, their faithlessness, their ignorance of Scripture. They knew the Scripture, but they did not know the real meaning of Scripture. When he started from Moses, through the Psalms, through David and the prophets, he started to show them that Christ ought to suffer these things and thus enter into his glory. And the apostle as well were in, in ignorance, not ignorance, were more, had forgotten or did the real meaning of scripture. They didn't realize what these words meant, what the literal sense meant, because there are different layers. But Our Lady was different. Our Lady is immaculate. She never had that wound of ignorance, which is a consequence of original sin. So she knew there was going to be a war. I shall put enmities between thee, you, serpent, and a woman, with a capital W, and a woman. She knew that you had to take the blood of the Paschal Lamb and put it on the doorpost if you wanted to live. She knew that. She knew that the Paschal Lamb had to, to be sacrificed. She knew that as Moses was told to erect this brazen serpent in the desert when the Jews had disobeyed, that a look at this serpent on, on this cross was saving them. She knew that. She knew all these prophecies. Psalm 21, they've pierced my hands and my feet. They've numbered all my bones. She knew that. She knew chapter 53 of Isaiah. From the sole of the foot unto the top of the head, there is no soundness therein. Wounds and bruises and swelling sores, there are not bound up nor dressed nor fomented with oil. She knew that. She knew all these prophecies. And she said, when the angel asked her consent in the name of God, she said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, fiat miki. Secundum verbum tum. Be it done unto me. Fiat is, Our Lady is passive. Yes, I will do whatever you say. Just tell me. Tell me. And that fiat of Our Lady was a prelude to the fiat of Our Lord the moment after when He was made flesh in her. That was His first prayer as well. Father, I come to do Thy will. Same hearts. It's Our Lady who gave Jesus his heart. And, and certainly the goodness of her heart, the virginity of her heart, her immaculate heart, I would say, prepared our Lord's body to receive that soul and to be united with the, uh, the Son of God. So, the fiat of Our Lady, this is what Father Garrigou Lagrange develops, the fiat of Our Lady was free just came out spontaneously out of her love of God. Remember the story of Abraham sending his servant Eliezer to get a wife for Isaac, Rebecca. And the parents did not want Rebecca to go. They said, let's call the maiden and ask her what she wants. And uh, Rebecca replied, Vadam, I will go with that stranger. I will go. That aspect of free consent associated Our Lady to the work of salvation. And Father Garrigou Lagrange will develop that point. He says, the whole of tradition has made this parallel 
between Adam and Eve and Jesus and Mary. St. Paul says, our Lord is the new Adam. The whole of tradition says Mary is the new Eve. Let me read you a passage from Father Garigou Lagrange. Tradition recognizes that Mary consented to be mother of the Redeemer in his redemptive role by calling her the new Eve. The first Eve, by consenting to temptation, led by consenting freely. The original sin was committed freely. The woman looked at the fruit. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was attractive. She consented. Otherwise, it would not have been a sin. So the first Eve, by consenting to temptation, led the first man to commit the sin which lost original justice for mankind. Mary is the new Eve. By her consent to be the mother of the Redeemer for the sake of the work of redemption. So there's going to be a reparation. There's going to be a, a contrast. And this doctrine of Mary as the second Eve says Father Garigou Lagrange, was universally accepted in the second century already. Already. And the fathers who speak most explicitly of this matter are, and there's a long list here, there's about 15 names of fathers of the church, St. Justin, St. Irenaeus, Tertullian, St. Cyprian, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, St. Ephraim, St. John Chrysostom, St. Augustine, St. Basil, all of them, practically all the great ones. And then this was taken again by the theologians of the Middle Ages, St. Bernard, and now those of our more recent times, St. Alphonsus, and so on. So, the question here we want to know is, in what sense was Our Lady associated with the work of redemption? It was not just by having conceived our Lord physically, says Father Garigou Lagrange. It was not just by having given his humanity, given him birth, nourished him. She did that. And if we stop there, we would be like the Protestant, where she gave him his body, and then my son, go and do your mission, and may God be with you. No, but Father Garigou Lagrange says, but it was rather, was her association moral through her free salutary and meritorious acts. And here he explains, Eve contributed morally to the fall by yielding to the temptation of the devil, by disobedience, and by leading Adam into sin. So, Eve consents freely to the temptation, and then she makes Adam fall. So there's going to be a, a reparation of this. Mary, on the contrary, cooperated morally in our redemption. Mary obeyed by her faith in Gabriel's words and by her free consent to the mystery of the redemptive incarnation and to all the sufferings it entailed for her son and for herself. We have to keep that parallel because the fathers of the church at length speak about this. When Jesus dies on the cross and the soldier opens his side and blood and water comes out. The fathers have said, well, the new Eve is also the church, just like the first Eve came from the open side of Adam. Well, the new Eve came from the open side of Christ. Adam, the new Adam, sleeping dead on the cross. 
So Jesus is the universal mediator. And he has redeemed Mary. Mary has been redeemed, but in a preservation way, not like us. So Mary's association with Jesus in the redemption is not like the apostles. It's something more intimate than the apostles. That is what St. Albert the Great, the great Dominican, who was the teacher of St. Thomas Aquinas, this is what he formulated so happily when he said, the Blessed Virgin Mary was chosen by God not to be his minister, that was the apostles, but to be his consort and his helper, consortium et adutorium. According to the words of Genesis, let us make him a help like to himself. Very important. Very important. She's the new Eve, and she's created as a helper to the new Adam. So she's going to be involved as his consort, as his helper, like the new Adam, like to himself, God said. Let us dig a little bit deeper into that immaculate heart. Let us open that treasure or continue our search of that treasure. We're speaking of the mother of the Savior. St. John Chrysostom says, if you want a book on the Sacred Heart, he says, read the epistles of St. Paul because cor pauli, cor Christi est. Because the heart of Paul vibrates in unison with the heart of Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 3, for example, 1 Corinthians 13, where St. Paul just speaks of this charity of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. So if St. Paul, who himself says, I'm the least of the apostles, I persecuted the church of God, if St. Paul after his conversion, got to understand our Lord Jesus Christ so well, a fortiori, the queen of the apostles, the mother of Jesus. If St. Paul often speaks of the sensum Christi, we have the sense of Christ, like, like an instinct. We know the mind of Christ. Well, how much more the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave Jesus his humanity, who sheltered him and, and who accompanied him all the way to the cross for 33 years. When you look at our Lord from the moment he's in this world, let's go through certain points briefly of our Lord as Savior. The moment he is and our Blessed Lady, St. Luke tells us, just the first the verses after the Annunciation. In those days, Mary went with haste through the mountains to see her cousin Elizabeth. She went with haste. Cum festinazione. Was she running? What, why, why was she in a hurry? Because Jesus was in her. Caritas Christi urget nos. The charity of Christ presses us, pushes us. Because Jesus came as a Savior, and the first thing he wanted to do while on earth was to start saving. And the first one on the list 
was John the Baptist. John the Baptist and his mother. So he sanctified John the Baptist before his, own, his birth and St. Elizabeth, the mother as well. At Christmas, he is minutes born that the angels go and get the shepherd. He, he makes the angel move. Fear not, I bring to you tidings of great joy. This day in the city of David, a savior is born. So the angels were created whose test was to serve the Savior. The angels are eager, the good angels in heaven, eager to come and pay their respect to the Savior just born. The Savior, so the angels said, the Savior is born in the city of David. He draws the shepherd through the angels. He will draw the kings through the stars. We have seen a star in the east. We have come with gifts to adore him. Where is he that is born? King of the Jews. Our Lord draws to himself. When he will begin his public life, as soon as he has finished his fasting in the desert and he walks by the Jordan, he draws the first two apostles, John and Andrew. And then Andrew gets on fire. So Andrew goes and gets his brother, Peter. And then Jesus walks with these three a little bit. And then Jesus calls Philip. Philip gets on fire. Philip goes and calls Nathaniel. Always. Our Lord communicates that flame. That flame. Who was the first, we could say, apostle in the public life was a Samaritan woman at the well. A woman who had had five husbands. Not really her husbands. Just living with them. Jesus turns her around. And she gets the fire as well. And when she sees the apostles coming with their, their shopping bag, she just leaves the well open, which was forbidden. She leaves her jar with which she had come to get water, but now she has tasted this new water. She's not interested in that water anymore. She runs up to the village and come and see a man that has told me everything that I have done. Could he not be the Christ? He told me all my sins. He must be the Savior coming to save us from our sins. And the whole village comes down. So our Lord would turn this woman, give her that fire, and she becomes an apostle. Later on, if you recall, he crosses the lake and he meets this man who is possessed with the devil. He delivers the man. Although this time the possessed man wanted to become his disciple, Jesus says, no, go and tell the others what has happened to you, what you have discovered. So, Whoever comes close to our Lord, all these men of goodwill, our Lord gives them his fire. So we see that in his life. We see that in his teaching. I have come to bring fire on earth. I have a baptism wherewith I am to be baptized. And how am I straightened until it be accomplished? And what is that baptism? Baptism of fire, baptism of blood, but he wants to put in our heart the thirst that he has for his Father, for the glory of his Father. And that is what we have to understand. St. John 7:37, Jesus stood in the temple. He was shouting. Imagine our Lord shouting to a crowd of hundreds of people. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That thirst of of happiness, the thirst of, of eternal happiness. 
Come to me. I will feed. I will quench that thirst. So, if our Lord was doing this with all these people, people living in sin, the Samaritan woman, people who were possessed, but he just delivered them, converts like Paul, if he gave them his fire, don't you think he put that fire in the Immaculate Heart? Don't you think she had more than anyone else? Because the closer to the source, says St. Thomas, the more you, you receive from that source. Well, the closer to the fire, the more you're burnt by the fire, we can say. So, she entertained that flame from the moment he was conceived. And after he went up to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, there in the cynical, where the Holy Eucharist had been instituted, the Holy Ghost came on her. The apostles were around her. And the fathers and the saints say that the Holy Ghost came first on her and then split on the apostles. And then they went into the whole world and lit that fire. Lit that fire. We can say that Our Lady, we say in the litany of Our Lady, Queen of Confessors. She's the Queen of Missionaries. The Queen of all the Founders. All these missionaries who wanted to to cross the oceans. And as one of them said, I was forget his name, a great missionary, to cross the oceans, to save one soul and to die. That's worth a life. Here, you read you a passage of one of these great missionaries. He wrote it in many more words. His name is Francis Xavier. This letter is 1544. He's been in India two years. He's been now in the southeast of India, baptizing villages and Listen to what he has to say to his companions living in Rome. Many fail to become Christians in these regions because they have no one who is concerned with such pious and holy matters. They don't have teachers. They don't have catechists. I am almost moved to write to the University of Paris, La Sorbonne. That's where he studied himself, where he, he became a master of La Sorbonne or at least to our Master de Cornibus and to Dr. Picard, too famous teacher at La Sorbonne, how many millions of pagans would become Christians if they were laborers, so that they may take pains to find persons who seek not what is their own, but what is Jesus Christ. There is such a great multitude of those who are being converted to the faith of Christ in this land where I am, that it frequently happens to me that my arms become exhausted from baptizing. In one of his letters to St. Ignatius, he said, last month I baptized 30,000 people. I need help. And I can no longer speak from having recited so often the creed and the commandments in their language and the other prayers, along with an exhortation which I know in their language. And Tamil language is not easy. St. Francis had learned learn the creed, the prayers, and a little commentary, which was repeating, repeating, repeating. I recite the creed and the commandments more frequently than the other prayers, because that's our faith. So there's one who was on fire, who was on fire. You might say, well, he's a Jesuit, he was a great saint. It's like a little girl. Little girl, we could speak of Jacinta, but I'd like to just mention just a passage of St. Teresa of the Child Jesus. She was 13, the night of Christmas, 1886, the famous grace of Christmas. God uses everything, anything, 
the slightest, the minutest little thing to make miracles. Baptism, an example. A few drops of water brings grace into a soul. Where here, it's also the story of a few drops of water. But these were tears. As you probably know the story, they came back from midnight mass and they were there in the living room and Celine had to go upstairs to get something in their bedroom. And as they're climbing up to get something, Teresa is young and she's very, she's a daddy's little girl, little queen. The father says a remark, the father's tired, maybe two o'clock in the morning. And he says, I hope this is the last time we do this, this, uh, this little uh, childish customs at Christmas. Teresa normally should have broken in tears. But Celine, who is ahead of her, hears her continuing to walk. And Teresa does not cry. She comes back smiling. In these steps, a miracle took place. A little weeping girl became a great missionary. This is what she says. In this night of light began the third period of my life, the most beautiful of all, the most filled with the graces of heaven. In one instant... The work that I had not been able to do in 10 years, Jesus did, being content of my goodwill. That's the message of Christmas. Peace on earth to men of goodwill. As his apostles, I was able to tell him, Lord, I have fished all night without taking anything the last 10 years of her life. But more merciful for me than he had been for his disciples, Jesus himself took the net, throw it in the water, and pull it out full of fish he made of me a fisher of men. I felt, and here's the grace, I felt in my soul a great desire to work for the conversion of sinners, a desire which I had never felt so lively. I felt, in a word, charity enter into my heart, the need to forget myself in order to please, and ever since I've been happy. It's a missionary charity. This charity comes from God. It's, it's a charity. It's the relation between the Father and the Son. It's, it's divine. It's intense. It's infinite. Mother of the Savior. That is what it is. Our Lady gives birth in souls, puts charity in souls, puts her Son in souls, lights souls with His fire, and they go. All the founders have been inspired by Our Lady. They all have great devotion. St. Alphonse, St. Francis, St. Dominic, St. Augustine, St. Uh, Bernard, burning with love for Our Lady. And in order to give something, to give something to Jesus, which he does not have. Yes, there's things Jesus does not have. And what is that? The soul in a state of mortal sin right now. Yes, Jesus is his creator, but he's not united with him. It's a dead branch. We need to put it to the vine. And that is that charity, that missionary charity. And that is also the great problem of our days. We can summarize, and others have done it, the whole crisis we are living in a church by this loss of zeal for the salvation of souls. This modern ecumenism since Vatican II has killed the missions. The error 
that everybody is saved. It's a heresy that everybody is saved. Therefore, the missionaries simply have to go and tell people, did you know you are saved? That's my role to tell you, not to bring you into the church, but to, to just to tell you that Christ has saved you. You already belong to him. He's already united with you, even if you don't know it. That's what they call the anonymous Christianity, which came before Vatican II. I think it's called Raner, and entered, unfortunately, the teaching of Vatican II and ever since. We have had last October 2019 the awful scandal of the Pachamama in the Vatican during the Synod of the Amazon. This is 2019. Listen to what bishops were saying in 1975, 76, 77. Here's a few quotes of what they were saying 30 years before. 30 years before. Here's a few quotes from various bishops in Brazil in the mid-70s. The Indians already live the Beatitude. Indian communities are a prophecy of this new way of living where the most important is man. The indigenous communities must be received as evangelizers. They become the model of our society that has much to learn from them. The Indian has a mission, we're talking about the pagan Indian, has a mission to fulfill, to make the civilized people rediscover civilization. That's the word. Today, missionary activity discovers that the role of missionaries discovers in, in the indigenous culture evangelical values to such a degree that the Indian not only is evangelized, but he is able to evangelize us by the education of freedom, by his relation with what is religious. Evangelization makes us able to discover the presence of Christ already in that tribe. And that often they live a more Christian life than ourselves with our baptism and our religious practice. Incredible. Incredible. 1972, listen. The bishops of Brazil defend the thesis that the principal mission of the church is not to catechize and to convert the Indian, but to guarantee his values and to lead his way his cultural progress in such a way to avoid conflicts and syncretism. 1972, they've lost the missionary spirit. And so, that is what we mean by Our Lady, Mother of the Savior. It's her virginity, the virginity of her heart that understood the love of the Savior for souls. And she got, she the first, she got burnt with that divine fire. Let the love that is in us be 
in them. The love with which you have loved me, may it be in them. Well, Our Lady is the spouse of the Holy Ghost. It's normal that she was enkindled with the flame of the Holy Ghost. But she's a mother and she does not keep it for herself. She needs to to spread that fire, to enkindle souls. And so, let us understand when we say in the litany of Loreto, Mother of the Savior, pray for us. It means give us that zeal for soul, for the conversion of souls. Let us not sleep on our laurels and say, well, I'm, I'm Catholic, I'm okay, they can all go to hell, I'm going to heaven. That's not Christian. That's not evangelical. So we must have that love of souls and that will come with a true devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In our next talk, we will look at Mother of the Redeemer. There's something parallel, but I'll say the key is that there's a price to save souls. And that is what the Mother of the Redeemer will teach us. Ave Maria, gratia plena. Thank you very much. God bless. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the Catholic faith and the message of Fatima, and to support this vital apostolate with a much-needed donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. So many souls need to know and love Mary, so as to truly know and love Jesus. For the glory of God and the salvation of souls, please share this talk with others. And may God reward you. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us.